Well, on the last podcast, I promised you a happy or a sad Jackson, and I'm here to admit it is more of a conflicted Jackson after England and USA battled to a nil-nil draw tonight, Friday night, in uh, Group B. And we'll have all the reaction from you here from the Sports Gazette's FIFA World Cup podcast. We'll also uh, talk about Iran's stunning 2-0 victory over Wales that really flipped Group B on its head a bit today with all four teams still alive with qualification hopes for the round of 16. We'll also recap the previous two days of the tournament, which have been pretty exciting other than more nil-nils. And we'll take a look forward at what we are most anticipating over the next two days It has been a fun tournament so far, and we're glad you're listening here to the Sports Gazette's FIFA World Cup podcast. Let's get stuck in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 5 of the Sports Gazette's FIFA World Cup podcast. Tonight, I'm joined by Seth Nobes and James Price. We are posted up in Seth Nobes' lovely apartment here in Twickenham, and we've just finished watching the England-USA match In total, it was a pretty interesting day across Group B, highlighted by a Welsh heartbreak and a semi-interesting draw between USA and England. First off, how are you boys doing? How are you coping with a a draw? Seth, we'll start with you. What's the immediate feeling coming out of that match tonight? Uh, The immediate feeling is is one of disappointment, Jackson. Um, I think this was an opportunity for England to really sort of show their difference between uh, between the teams of, of the past. I mean... Obviously, we look back to, to 2010 and, and it was a draw with uh, the USA and South South Africa. And I thought, you know, on Monday, we really turned a leaf. You know, we, we were going to dominate the group stages and, and move away from this stressful sort of feeling you have as an England fan during the uh, the, the early stages of the World Cup. But that was not that was not meant to be tonight. Um, and fair play to your boys. We were we were truly outplayed by by the Americans. And at the end of the day, they wanted it more. And, and that showed uh, across the field. Yeah, I think uh, it's very interesting. We're coming into this match. I did not expect USA to outplay England. I expected us to maybe get a result and maybe even nick a goal and and win. But I thought England would dominate possession, and that just simply didn't happen. Uh, James, were you kind of surprised by the flow of the match tonight? Or, you know, is this uh, same old England, I think, in in some ways, when you think about their uh, performances on the, the international stage? It was weird because that opening 10 minutes, England were happily on top um, I think that chance from I think it was Saka in the end uh, oh no it was actually Kane sorry who sort of clipped the inside of the American defender and almost went in you thought right here we go but capitalising on that position that we got in the Iran game um, unfortunately it just didn't really work out from there USA from that point really dominated that entire game and that was a really weird narrative to have and, and like you say Seth it was sort of jumping back to where we've been before where we've been in the qualification stages uh, where England with a team with a serious amount of quality in there just weren't performing to their, to their best and uh, I mean I don't, I, I'm still conflicted whether England played bad or USA played well mm-hmm. obviously as all things it's a combination of, of the two um, but you know we've got to we've got to find a narrative here, and I guess that's what we're trying to find. <laughs> yeah, over the next I think for me, what I'm surprised most about from the England performance is they didn't press the United States defense. Mm-hmm. They tried a couple times, um, maybe, but for the most part, Kane, Saka, Sterling, Mount, who's got so much energy, they were happy to let you know the U.S. center backs Tim Ream and Walker Zimmerman kind of pass the ball around. Uh, when you when you think about the England performance tonight, I'd, I'd love to get your perspective on this. 
do you think at some point Southgate thought that let's settle for a draw? You know, because there was at the pub there were a couple people that were mentioning it, and I'm it's, it's surprising. But at the end of the day, a draw for England is a significantly significantly better result than a loss tonight. It, it made it would, might make all the difference in the group stage moving forward. I think if you look at the bigger picture, you know, England come out of this game, they kept a clean sheet. You know, they're in pole position in Group B now. Um, and I think that might have been playing Southgate's mind. I, I hope it wasn't. That's quite a limited mindset to have. Um, I mean, if you look at the substitution of, of John Henderson coming on, um, but then that was made at the same time as the substitution of Jack Grealish coming on. So it's, you know, you sort of, I, I kind of understood why he made that change with Grealish, with, with Henderson maybe not. And then hooking Jude Bellingham, who was our best player arguably in the Iran game, and who seems to be the, this player that everyone seems to look to to, to provide that, that spark, that sort of, he is representative of the, the New England, you know, it's very difficult, it's very, it's very odd for England to start a player like Jude Bellingham uh, and, and give him such a key role. Uh, so, so to bring him off, maybe that was a, I don't want to say surrender, but Southgate was probably looking at it thinking, we still have Wales play today, yeah. maybe we can dominate them. And, and USA, they executed their, their game plan well, so maybe he sort of, well, that's that's a point in the bag, and we'll we'll keep it at that. But I don't know. The pub was definitely not happy with the Jordan Henderson substitution. But when it happened, I when I saw him warming up, I was like, oh, this makes sense. They're going to go three in the midfield: him, Bellingham, and Rice. They'll probably take Mount out because he didn't have the best of nights. But they they left Mount in there, and for me, that's kind of that was pretty shocking, just in a sense that I, I think there there was a chance for England late in the game to kind of try and get control of the midfield with mid, with uh, Rice, Bellingham, and Henderson, and they opted not to do that. And it was just a straight swap, uh, Henderson for Bellingham. And in the end, it didn't really make that much of a difference. I think Jude was terrific against Iran, and him and Rice, you know, are going to be key cogs for this England team. But tonight, I've, maybe they were just outnumbered in the midfield, where U.S. had three central midfielders, but they didn't make too much of, a, of an impact tonight. James, do you think that there are any obvious changes that England need to make moving forward? Yes, the Iran game was so impressive, but you're only as good as your last result tonight, Not maybe maybe not the best of performances. Do you think there are any obvious changes for Southgate moving forward? I don't think there are obvious changes, no, because as much as the media, like us, would like <laughs> to portray that the last result is, is who you are, um, I feel like a lot of people are very happy with the way England are playing right now and personally this is just my opinion but I feel this evening was an evening where uh, the USA were beat us as opposed to England being bad so let's just go back and I'll, I'll come to you on this as well the McKinney chance in the first half um, and there was also Pulisic obviously hit the post mm -hmm. um, USA were definitely on top especially in the attacking sense of the game. So uh, I guess I'll throw the question back to you before I answer the one you've given to me. Um, do you think it was a, a case of the USA being good or do you think it was a case of England playing badly? The USA were good, but there, there's just something with this team that I, you can't, I can't really point to why this happens, but there's a lot of creativity and talent in attack and there's just not enough clear-cut goal-scoring opportunities. We had a couple tonight. Um, even even Pulisic's attempt was a left-footed shot, you know, a fadeaway jumper, if you will. Allow me to have a, have a basketball <laughs> reference there. But you do need to see how this affects LeBron's legacy. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> the LeBron James of, of soccer and LeBron's legacy uh, back home. But 
I, it's it's tough because it, they, we feel like there should be more chances, and for whatever reason, there's not. Maybe that's the lack of a real talented number nine. Um, if you ask American fans, it's just Greg Berhalter's tactics. But look, I think the I think against Wales and against England, for the most part, Berhalter got it right. Uh, just weren't able to take advantage tonight. It would be, I think, one thing that USA fans are clamoring for is Gio Reyna to play more. And I'm not sure who he comes on for. I think Wea has been pretty good in both games. I think McKenney's put in a good shift. But if maybe if Reyna's playing in that McKenney spot, he scores the goal that McKenney flew over the bar. He's been playing so well for Borussia Dortmund. So I'm not sure. I think against Iran, look, we have to now go get a win. Uh, we, we, a draw is not good enough based off of Iran's result today. We have to go get a win. So hopefully there will be a little bit more attacking impetus for the United States today. Uh, Let's move on to Wales and Iran. I think we'll take a step back and talk about the group as a whole later. But a 2 nothing result for Iran. Both goals scored well into stoppage time. Um, 98th minute, 101st minute. Kind of a crazy end to that game with the uh, the red card against Wayne Hennessy, kind of setting Iran up to go and grab all three points. Um, first off, guys, uh, Seth, where did it all go wrong for Wales today, you think? I think the uh, the obvious thing to speak about is is the role of Aaron Ramsey. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think it's almost too obvious, but I think it needs to be discussed because um, I think today he was one of the worst players. On, he's, he's one of the worst, if not the worst player on the pitch. Four dispossessions. Four dispossessions. Dispossessed four times today. Wow. Gareth Bale also was dispossessed three times. Today. Is that yeah. one of those fancy so stats that uh, the guitar? Yeah, I know, yeah. We'll talk about that later, maybe. <laughs> but like, yeah, like, I mean, two of their star players. And seven dispossessions. Anyway, so <laughs> I just think you know, Aaron Ramsey is this, is in this team for a reason. I don't know if that is because he performed so well at, at Euro twenty sixteen. Uh, <laughs> I think at what point does Rob Page think that he picks players based on on their name rather than their their attacking or their their midfield prominence? I mean, even Ampadu today actually surprised me. He he played very well, and he was arguably. Wales' strongest player on the pitch, but when it came to make the substitution, he was the person that was hooked off as for Joe Allen instead of Aaron Ramsey. And and I know Dan, uh, the the resident Wales man in in our course, <laughs> he uh, he was very disappointed with Aaron, Ram, uh, Aaron Ramsey's performance, and and was sort of saying, "Why are you taking Ampadu off? He's played the played well." But I don't think you can just point the the finger at Aaron Ramsey. He did have a great game, but. Maybe the way that Wales are set up, uh, they rely on Ramsey and Bale to perform well. I yeah, and I think, think you could you could obviously point another finger at Bale today. I think he's provided so many brilliant moments for Wales over the past six to eight years. Uh, but I made a, a joke when he the, after the USA game uh, that I might have moved more at the pub, uh, going up that, up and downstairs to grab beer than Gareth Bale did at, against the USA and today. He was completely nullified. Uh, he's just, he's you know, no, he's not the athlete that he once was, and that was his biggest strength was that that speed, that agility, that ability to break on the counter. Uh, and he he was just nullified today. So I think those two players, if they don't show up and perform, that's typically bad news for Wales. I think with Gareth Bale as well. Sorry to interrupt you. There, James. Um, so Dan, Dan told me that he he actually only had scored five goals in qualifying, mm. and he only scored in two games. He scored a double in the semi final against Austria in the playoff semi final, and he scored a hat trick again. Um, I can't quite remember who it was against, but he only scored in two of those games. So it sort of shows 
the Wales aren't so reliant on him, but there is this obviously narrative that they are reliant, and obviously he is their best player. Yeah. You know, but he has not been fit for a lot of these games, and you know he's joined LAFC and. He's only made. He came on in that LS, MLS Cup in, in and scored that header, which obviously grabbed the headlines. But I think he hadn't played a game since since early October. I think that was that was what going around, and he's been trying to get fit for this World Cup. But it's, you know, Wales in in their own right have a very good squad without Gareth Bale. Mm-hmm. You know, if Gareth Bale wasn't starting, they would have you know Dan James up top. They'd have Kiefer Moore, and and they would also have Harry Wilson. That was a three Premier League players. Mm-hmm. I think I think you're right, uh, James. I want to come to you really quickly, you know, uh, with about Bale. But I do think before we get too carried away, we have to, as Ian Wright would say, flowers for Iran. They were they were terrific today. Yeah. They really were. Um, they deserved the win, and it could have been an easy opportunity for a team like Iran with what's going ho- going on back home, a six-two thrashing against England to kind of throw in the towel a little bit, and they they absolutely did not do that today, and they're sitting second in in Group B. Uh, James, I've got the controversial question, I guess, for you. Is it time for Wales to say goodbye to Gareth Bale? Um, <laughs> <laughs> probably. Ooh. But I think, I think, realistically, when you've got a player of that um, significance, it will be up to him when he decides to say goodbye. But based on everything that we've heard from Gareth Bale over recent years it, he, I think he's on the edge of saying goodbye I mean I wouldn't be surprised if this is this is his final finale and his finale could be against England when you know oh, let's be honest he, <laughs> he might just rock up and do something incredible um, r- regardless of whether it means that Wales get through I, I wouldn't be surprised if he rocks up and done something regardless but I do want to say on your point of let's praise Iran um it, it was a real scramble in the match report earlier yeah. when we were when we were doing this match report and um, you know two goals in the ninety was it ninety eighth and hundredth yeah. something crazy like that yeah. um, and before that the narrative was uh, well Wales didn't quite manage to get through against Iran and then and then when those two goals went in it's a two nil scoreline mm-hmm. you suddenly you reassess the narrative and you go well actually they had that chance in the twelfth minute from Kiefer Moore Wales. Um, which they didn't manage to convert, and from then, realistically, Iran were on were on top. They had that offside goal that was disallowed, mm-hmm. um, and from the rest of the game, I didn't see a lot of chances from Wales. They were scrambling, and you know, when the clock went red in the second half as well, there were a couple of chances from Iran. Wales scrambled really to keep that nil nil going into the break, um, and yeah, we've got to give a lot of credit to them. As much as I hate that phrase <laughs> that I've just used. Um, and and it'll be really interesting to see where they can go. Interesting, we had. I didn't realize this until I, you know, kind of heard your, you speak there. But we kind of had two similar fixtures today, where in England, USA, England were on top for the first ten minutes, and then I think we all were a little bit surprised by how good the USA was. Wales were on top for the first ten minutes, and then Iran surprised us. And yeah. in both of those matches, we expected those teams that were on top in the first ten minutes to come away with three points. Of course. A red card and bagging two goals makes all the difference in the end. So Iran sit uh, in second place right now in Group B. Uh, let's get real quick predictions. Who comes through in Group B? Who do you guys think? I'm obviously going to say England and the USA, although I am just as nervous. I think this was a good result for the USA. We needed Iran to get a point at least against Wales for us to feel confident. 
but I'm just as nervous as I was before the group even started. But I have to stick to my stick to my Second Amendment guns. Uh, <laughs> USA, <laughs> USA, and England will uh, come out of the group. What do you guys think? Just, uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I think I think England have got are still strong in their position. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said earlier, I think it was a, a case of USA being good rather than England being bad, and hopefully. I mean, it's going to be it's two very politically charged <laughs> yeah. games um, on Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday, Tuesday night. Yeah, Tuesday night. So, um, and the fact that they're happening at the same time as well just adds to the drama. So that's wonderful. I, I, I think England and hopefully the USA will make it through. See, I, I think on a run, um, I think just what you were saying there, I think, and I was trying to, trying to get this as my match report and I couldn't quite fit it in. But the way I sort of saw the first half between, between Wales and Iran, um, was, it was almost like an awkward first date. Let, <laughs> let, let me elaborate on this soon. Please, 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 please. Yeah, please. <laughs> Neither team really wanted to, to give much away. You know, they, they were quite content sort of sitting there and, and, you know, just sort of almost waiting for the other to make the first move. You know, it's, it was, again, another another idea that came to mind for the match ball was, it was like a game of fencing. Mm. You know, when you're in fencing, you know, the first mm. person makes the, the first first attack and then, then you're off or, or chest someone makes an attacking move. I think that first half, I think both teams like they they were very happy to sort of go in at nil nil at half time because they both knew that at one point one team's gonna snap, right? One team is gonna think we need to get the three points. Iran were were basically out if they lost against Wales mm-hmm. and Wales basically saw that as an opportunity to qualify in their eyes, you know, if they if they had won, then they would be in a very strong position going into the game against England. So just based on that, I think Iran played the perfect game in in their eyes. They they you know waited. They they made the first move after the second in the second half. You know they had that chance where they hit the post twice in twenty seconds. Mm-hmm. If that had gone in, then they're one nil up after fifty five minutes. Yeah. But then obviously Wayne Hennessy basically made Wales' task 10 times harder and, and Iran came out on top. So I'm actually going to bet Iran to beat the US. And I know that pains me to say that when you're set opposite me, but I think they will, again, they, they will set up well. I think they recovered so well from that game against England on, on Monday. Mm-hmm. And I've got to back England against Wales. I think, look, I'm not offended at the least. I just, I think, I think Iran don't even need to beat the USA. They need a tie. Yeah. And that plays right into their game plan. Uh, it'll, it's, it's fascinating. Before, Last podcast when we were previewing these round of matches tonight, I kind of alluded to I think that USA or I think Wales and Iran play such similar styles. I kind of predicted a nil nil draw, and maybe that would have been right if uh, there wasn't. And you a were red within nineteen yeah, minutes. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but all right, well we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll discuss some other lingering World Cup storylines outside of Group B heading into Saturday, including Brazil's dazzling performance in a two nothing win over Serbia Thursday night. Uh, Julia Bellas, a a Brazilian freelance reporter with The Guardian, was kind enough to provide us with a voice note outlining her three key thoughts from Brazil's convincing victory. Here's Julia, and we'll be right back after this. Hi, and thanks for having me. Uh, I wanted to bring three things to talk about this Brazil-Serbia game. The first one is the Seleção attacking power. It's fascinating to look at how they move, how they play. Uh, one thing that Brazil did really well and does really well usually is to use the help of the team to help an individual talent 
you know, win the game, score the goals. So Richarlison may, be, may have been the man of the match. Uh, he, you know, scored that beautiful, amazing volley goal. Uh, but at the same time, if you rewatch both goals, uh, you'll see how Neymar goes through the defense in the first one, how Vinicius Jr. moves on the second one. They all pull Serbia's players towards them to leave Richarlison free to score. And that's amazing. So that's fascinating that Brazil has so many options, but you still can like decide the game with one person. The second point is also about the attack. I mean, we saw Neymar leave the game injured. Uh, we still don't know if he'll be able to play the next game against Switzerland. Uh, but at the same time, this is not cause for that much concern. Of course, he's a great player. He's eager to win this World Cup, especially now that he's even more controversial because of his support to Bolsonaro in the elections. But... He's not the only one that can solve these games and, and, and score goals for Brazil anymore. He's decisive, he's brilliant in his passes, but we have other players that can fill this role. Uh, if you look, if he's really out for the next game, Titi can add, uh, you know, Rodrigo, or can push Paquetá to the attack and put Fred in the midfield. Uh, and this won't change much about how Brazil play. Um, and if you remember 2014, when Neymar was injured and, you know, when the players entered the pitch against Germany, they had Neymar's jersey and they were crying and, and supporting him. Of course, it was a serious injury, but it was kind of a memorial. Uh, we all know how that went. So it's interesting to know that we have options now. And the third and not least important game point of the game um, the Serbia manager had joked about Brazil having many people in the front, but leaving the defense like, oh, is there going to be anyone in the back? Uh, we saw Thiago Silva really focused on that game. Of course, Serbia didn't create that many chances, but Thiago Silva alongside Alexandro on the left and Danilo on the right were really well in not allowing Serbia to create when they were able to keep the ball and to pass the ball along. So... Uh, if you look at the numbers, Serbia only had five shots and none of them were on target. But when they pressured a little bit more, you know, we had a really tight-knit defense and Alisson was also there and he's an amazing goalkeeper. So he's also, he's also our last resort, but a really good last resort. So these are my highlights for the Brazil game. And again, thank you for having me. Thank you very much for that, Julia. And uh, guys, she mentioned Neymar's injury, which really I think might be one of the biggest storylines throughout the World Cup right now, which is unfortunate because uh, we're talking about a player's uh, availability instead of what's happening on the field. But Brazil are the favorites, and uh, he is definitely out for the group stage. We're hoping he can come back healthy. But let's play a hypothetical. Neymar can't come back help, can't come back and play the rest of the tournament. Do we think Brazil can win the World Cup without Neymar? Seth, what do you think? It's a very difficult question to answer. I mean, the only note I've put is uh, it will certainly be a lot harder. <laughs> <laughs> I, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, would Argentina win the World Cup without Messi? You know, it's... No. <laughs> I think one, one positive that they can take is, is Richarlison's performance against Serbia that we will get on to. But... 
you know, a big thing about the World Cup is is not so much about a player's quality, but it's about their performance to, you know, to provide the performance on, on the biggest stage. And you know, the goal that Richardson scored, the second one, it be- it definitely shows that he's he's not phased by the the occasion. Um, I know that it's not quite a like for like, and and I must admit, I'm not quite sure who might replace Neymar, but mm-hmm. if they've got Richardson firing up top and and they play, and. and it, if they play like they did against Serbia, because Serbia, it's not an easy win. It's not quite a, a Costa Rica, do you know what I mean? Like mm. it's, it's a difficult game first up, and, and if Brazil were, were off their game even by a little bit, then Serbia would, would capitalise. So, if would, would Brazil win the World Cup without Neymar? Um, I'm going to say, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Well, let's All say right. 2014, right? 2014. Well, yeah, there we go. But with that, David Luiz had to play in <laughs> So I, I'm, I'm going to say yes, they can. I'm not, not that they will, but I do think one thing that this Brazilian team has is they. I don't think they can make a like for like sub for Neymar. Of course, one of the best players the in the third world, player, third best player in the world. Probably. Right. So, but they can like they could become a little bit more balanced of a side where you could bring Fred into the midfield alongside Paqueta and have a little bit more defensive solidity, and still a front three of. Vinicius, Vinicius, excuse me, Richarlison and uh, Rafinha is quite talented. They could bring Gabriel Jesus on and play two strikers. You know, Richarlison's for Spurs, he pretty much plays, I think, on the right-hand side or as a second striker Mm -hmm. complementing Kane. So they've got a lot of options, and I think that spine of of Thiago Silva, Casemiro, Richarlison is a pretty talented one. And... They're going to. They're probably still going to top the group. Uh, I hope Neymar comes back, but even if he doesn't, I think Brazil still have to like their chances. In one way, too, we haven't had too many convincing, you know, favorites so far. We have. Ha- we've had some teams, Germany and Argentina, disappoint. England, great against Iran, not so great tonight. There aren't a lot of teams that have come out flying. So. Yeah. Spain There's and Spain yeah. and uh, Spain and France and uh, yeah. of course, the, but they haven't. Neither of those teams played as good a side as Serbia. Um, I just so. think on Neymar, though, I do want to say I think it's too early to make this call. As, as all we know, I believe so far, is that he's out for the rest of the group stages, for and sure. I'm sure they wouldn't go. Yeah, Neymar's out for the rest of the tournament because, from a morale perspective, that would be silly. But the games he's missing, obviously, against Cameroon and Switzerland. Yeah. Um, with Neymar or without those games are hopefully in the bag yeah and they um, only they really only need one or two more points to secure qualification so So, um, as as, as massive as a what if it it is um, hopefully we'll see him back and it, it would be a better World Cup to see him back yeah uh, Chicha said in a press conference after the match last night that Neymar will play again in the World Cup I I he might have just been trying to calma for everyone but uh, he seemed pretty confident so Mm. um one of those teams that I mentioned that might have been a, considered a favorite but underwhelmed a little bit, Portugal. Uh, they beat Ghana yesterday 3-2, needed a very fortunate penalty call on Cristiano Ronaldo to get that result. Uh, do you guys consider Portugal up there with the likes of Brazil, France, and Spain right now? Or are they kind of a notch below that group, maybe at the same level as, as England? And if we think Argentina are going to fix this, you know, where, where how do you kind of... Mark Portugal as headed into their second match day. If we were sitting there making tears, <laughs> as we do, mm-hmm. possibly, I think they're definitely not in tier one. Okay. They've got to be in tier two, I'd imagine, along with the likes of England. Um, I think Brazil uh, and France 
were and, and Spain obviously seven nil was um, pretty convincing. Um, yeah, that 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 penalty call was slightly dubious, <laughs> perhaps. And, and as a narrative, given the whole Manchester United stuff, it's um, yeah, it's great for us because there's plenty more to talk about. But yeah, I think they're easily um, tier two. And, and as much as we want, you know, uh, Portugal and possibly Argentina to to purely from a romantic perspective to yeah. end up in the final together. I'm not sure we're going to see that on the evidence of what we've seen so far from those two teams. Yeah. It possibly been in terms of a, the top 10 teams coming into this this tournament. They've been the most disappointing. Yeah. My question, I think uh, a follow-up question there, James, is if you saw, and maybe if, if England were to draw, let's say, Spain, Portugal, or Argentina... Because I think I think Brazil and France, Spain did win seven nothing against Costa Rica. But coming into the tournament, I think you would have put Spain more close to Portugal than you would Brazil mm, or France. So yes. let's let's put Argentina out of it for now. Would you rather England face Spain or Portugal? Because for me, I think England can kind of deal with Spain's tiki taka football and just sit back and hit them on the counter. That might suit suit Southgate's you know kind of tactics. Whereas Portugal are gonna do what the USA did tonight and try and make it very condensed and get one Cristiano Ronaldo opportunity. But it sounds like you'd rather face uh, Portugal than Spain. I'm talking purely on the basis of what I've seen from a game each from them, mm-hmm. which is um, is never very evident of the whole picture. Um, but Portugal easily would be the, the choice Okay. From, from that. I don't know what you think, Seth. Yeah, I think based on what we've seen so far, Portugal is, is the opposite choice, but... It's Costa Rica. Is the yeah. Is the, but then, is but the, then it's Ghana. You know, and yeah. a lot of people wrote Ghana off before the tournament. Um, I think one thing that is very easy to fall into with with Portugal, and you know, I've written it down here, is is it very easily becomes a Ronaldo show, right? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone falls into that narrative. Oh, it's you know Ronaldo's chance. To... Including myself, clearly. <laughs> well, no, but like every everyone's sort of, and and that is one major theme of this tournament, right? Is is Messi and Ronaldo. People would love to see an Argentina-Portugal final because it is sort of the, the Messi versus Ronaldo final. But you know, don't it takes a it takes a lot away, especially the Portugal side. You know, I'm I'm absolutely not the biggest fan of, of Ronaldo whatsoever. Uh, following his actions uh, in the last few weeks, it takes a lot away from these very talented players that Portugal have. You know, players that scored on on well, yeah, yesterday. You know, João Felix, Rafael. Leo, you know, these are players that have the potential to make it, make it big and, and for this tournament to be, you know, they're big names at the moment, but, you know, if they do well in this tournament, it's, it's a, a launch pad for, for bigger things, especially... It's weird, also, considering João Felix is not getting a lot of game time. No. It's, like, it's, it's odd, because yeah. <laughs> he's obviously... He's a so thing. Yeah. <laughs> or he has been, but like, you know, Ronaldo, just looking now, Ronaldo came off in that game, mm. you know, and I, I, in terms of where we are at when they won the Euros, yeah. it's a whole different picture, right? In terms of how Ronaldo-centric they were previously. Yeah. And like you were saying, you going, oh, it's so easy for it to be a Ronaldo narrative. And you'd argue, you'd argue this team is more talented than the team that won the Euros, mm-hmm. I think. Ronaldo's taken a step down, but they Ruben Diaz, incredible player, Bernardo Silva, guys that were maybe around that team, but not as established in club football. Yeah. You mentioned Felix and Leal. Um, it's 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 tough to kind of take a step back and and separate yourself from the from the Ronaldo narrative, but I think it's important that we do um, when assessing this Portugal team. And 
that win against Ghana was pretty big because they're likely to top the group now, and uh, it'll. I they, I think if I remember correctly, they're going to have a not easy, but they're going to be on the side of the bracket that doesn't have Brazil and Argentina. They're going to be on that England side and have an opportunity to to kind of make a deep run. But a lot to look a lot to look forward to. Uh, so let's uh, play a little game here. What match are we most looking forward to? Just over the next two days before uh, we record again, uh, Seth, let's start with you. So I've gone for a bit of a, an out there shout because I, I've seen one of you two put and I thought, well, I can't fall into that sort of yeah. You guys can talk <laughs> about that. We're boring. <laughs> Not boring because, of course, you know, Spain, Germany is going to be a great game, Argentina, Mexico. Hey, no but, spoilers, man. Just get yeah. to your pick. <laughs> Just get to your pick. Um, so I, I chose Croatia and Canada, right? Um, you know, Canada played... Played very well against Belgium, and and they were unlucky not to get a result. Obviously, Alfonso Davis taking the penalty, who knows why, in, in, instead of Jonathan David. But um, yeah, Canada they haven't won a game at the World Cup. This is only their second ever World Cup, and, and you know this could be their first World Cup win. I wasn't convinced by Croatia against Morocco. Um, I don't know whether that's me just not knowing anything about football, but I, I just thought they. They didn't really excite as they as they have done previous and, and with these Croatia teams in the past, you know, you think back to you know, even all the way back to the team that knocked England out with, with Steve McLaren with the, the umbrella and you think about the team that made the, the final in the last World Cup, you know, they, they had something about them. And I just thought this this Croatia team lacked that sort of identity. You know, Luka Modric is still running the show midfield, but you know, he's he's another four years older and who knows how and how long he can go for? But with Canada, they just looked exciting. They, they looked like they offered a lot. They looked very, you know, they look there. They look like they're there for a good time, not a long time. <laughs> you know, that's where I can put it. Uh, As a Concacaf uh, fan, I must say I knew Canada were good. That was the best I've ever seen them play. Like they, and I don't know. I don't know what that says about Belgium, <laughs> because I think Belgium, you mentioned four years older. I think that's starting to creep up and really show you know the age of, of the belgium team it's kind of de bruyne and a bunch of old guys so i think it was uh, like eight out of the 11 were they're by far the oldest squad at the world cup i'm pretty sure so that's it's just it will it's, it'll be interesting to kind of track belgium and canada throughout the rest of the world cup how how much like we've said with england usa how much was it canada being good and belgium being poor uh james what's your pick most sticks uh the match you're most looking forward to over the next two days well definitely not because it was the the preview i was assigned (laughs) but uh argentina versus mexico i think is an obvious pick from the uh basis of the previous game so obviously argentina in that absolute crazy shock loss to saudi arabia uh, and poland in a horribly unconvincing draw (laughs) with uh, Mexico. Um, From a romantics point of view, it's obvious that we want uh, Lionel Messi to spring out of the blocks and and, and do incredibly well for Argentina. But unfortunately, in that game, he was reasonably absent, Mm -hmm. much like Gareth Bale was for Wales. It was quite alarming. I mean, he scored. So is this unfair? (laughs) It was a penalty. Um, But he was alarmingly absent for the rest of that game. and Argentina were really caught by the tactics of Saudi Arabia. So I think they were caught 10 times offside. Yeah. And in 2018, the most amount of times that a single team was caught offside in the game was five. So they, the high press and the high line that Saudi Arabia were playing were caught completely off guard. 
I think seven of those did come in the first half, mm-hmm. so maybe they corrected slightly in the second, but it's still a ridiculous amount. In terms of how much they managed to adjust into that game is, is odd. Um, Mexico are not looking brilliant at the moment. Um, their best player was uh, a right back. <laughs> so, you know, um, and <clears throat> unfortunately, uh, coming back to the romantics side of thing, Ochoa coming out of the other woodwork <laughs> to grow into the best, <laughs> the best goalkeeper in the world again is a great narrative, but they can't rely on that. Um, they have a lot of quality up front with Martinez and, and etc. So it's going to definitely be an interesting one. And it's turned into, rather than this, hopefully Argentina win their opening game, easy peasy. This is their, you know, they secure their qualification into the next round. This, is, this has become really big. Argentina, this is a, they have to win it. Yeah. And probably the same for Mexico really as well. I think Mexico, yeah, definitely Mexico... It kind of depends on what happens in Poland and Saudi Arabia, right? But there's a chance Mexico could be happy with a point. But I think you're going to get an Argentina side that must win. And that kind of plays into Mexico's tactics. They like breaking on the counter and, you know, taking the space when it's presented to them. So that'll be a very fun watch. Uh, I'm going to go for the most obvious of picks, Spain and Germany. Uh, I think before the World Cup started, this was a fascinating game. And then given the two results that these teams have had, uh, on the opening matches, it just becomes even more interesting where you have Spain who have all of a sudden asserted themselves as one of the favorites in the tournament. Uh, Busquets, the old man in midfield with Pedri and Gavi, the young bucks. That's an exciting team to watch. I don't think I expected Spain to score seven goals all tournament, and they scored seven in one match. <laughs> and then Germany, they need three points. They There is no – a point here against Spain is not enough. They have to go out there and win this game. I thought Germany were pretty good in the first half against Japan, and then for whatever reason, it all fell apart around the 60th minute or so. I don't, you know, it's this Germany team has so much quality, and as a Chelsea fan, it's stunning that they're starting Kai Havertz as their number nine. Yeah, he's stunning, isn't I it? I mean, oh, really, just crazy. I mean, you would think that maybe Müller as a false nine would be better, but and and Kai has scored some good and important goals for Germany, but he's. He just hasn't been very reliable for Chelsea, and then in the game against Japan, I you know he just kind of he is good at finding space, but he's not really great at producing anything with that space. So it's going to be a fun watch, and I know us at the Sports Gazette have a couple of Spanish and uh, German constituents who are really up for that one. So. Thank you guys so much for joining me. We'll wrap up there. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Make sure to follow the Sports Gazette online and across all of our social media channels throughout the tournament. Mike will be back to host our next podcast, which will come out Sunday night after the aforementioned Spain-Germany match, and he'll take a deeper dive into the final match day and group me with so much at stake for Iran, USA, and I guess even Wales and England. Nobody's through just yet. So, Seth, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. And same to you, James. Appreciate it very much. Pleasure. Thank you very much. All right, guys. Enjoy the rest of the tournament. Mm